one of the strong points in my life. I've got, a, I've got a lot of teaching that goes along with what we've been teaching this week. But I've got a tape set out there. I'm not going to be teaching on this um, tonight or this morning. But it would really bless you to get this tape set that I've got entitled, The Four Keys to Staying Full of God. And I, I talk in there about how it's really up to you whether you stay full of God and whether you stay encouraged. Many people go to God, no God, please touch me, as if it's up to God how you feel. It's up to you how you feel. The Bible says keep yourself in the love of God. First chapter of Jude, verse 21. And many people don't realize this. There are things that you can do to keep yourself stirred up. If you don't keep yourself stirred up, you're going to settle to the bottom. And this is what most people do. They just settle to the bottom. They become complacent. And one of the things in that teaching on the four keys to staying full of God is talking about the power of memory. And you know, your memory is one of the strongest forces that you've got. And one of the things that I do constantly is go back and remember stuff. I sit down and just spend time remembering I think back about when Jamie and I first got started, and I remember all of these things. And you know, because of that, it's like some people wake up every day like a a goose in a new world every morning. It's like they have no history. They don't remember what happened yesterday or anything. But you know, I've got a, what is that, 38-year history of walking with the Lord. Actually, more than that from the time I got born again. But from the time I got totally turned on and seeking God with my whole heart, That was in 1968, and it'll be 39 years. Well, it is 39 years now. I've got a 39-year history, and I go back and review that all of the time and think about what God's done in my life. And because of it, when I wake up in the morning, it's not like, am I going to be still serving God by this evening? Man, I've got all of this momentum built up, and I'm remembering this. And for me to turn away from the Lord or to do something contrary to what God's spoken, it's like... I've got all of this history that, you know what, it's just who I am. It's what God has done in my life. But there's some people that forget those things. And I'm telling you, that's not productive. It's, it's damaging to your spiritual health. You need to go back and remember the good things that God has done in your life. This morning, I'm going to share some things with you that... Um, It's really too ambitious to try and share this, but the way I've been ministering this week is just talking about the love of God. I talked about how that, first of all, what the benefit of the love of God, a true revelation would be in your life. And we used Ephesians chapter 3, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God if you really knew how much God loved you. And I ministered those things just to show that most of us say we know that God loves us, but the truth is... We don't, aren't really experiencing it the way we should, or we would have the fullness of God manifest in us. And then on Friday morning, I talked about how that this abuse of the sovereignty of God, of wrong sovereignty of God to where God controls everything. God's the author of sickness and disease and poverty and things like this. If you believe that, there's no way that you can have a good relationship with God and understand how much He loves you if you think God's one that's causing all the mayhem and murder and terrible things in this earth. That is a misrepresentation of God, so we countered that. Last night I was talking about how that you've got to understand that God's love is unconditional. It has nothing to do with you and your performance. It is completely separate from any worth on your part 
It is an unconditional, an agape, God kind of love. And the body of Christ as a whole does not believe that. They constantly are thinking that when I do well, then God loves me and is pleased with me. Or when I do bad, God is displeased with me. But that's not what the scriptures teach at all. It's faith that pleases God. You know, I ministered one time. I've got another teaching back there. I've got everything I teach is on this subject. It just has a different title and a different... Uh, scriptures that I use, but I teach the same thing all of the time. But I've got, I taught in St. Joseph, Missouri one time, and there was about 500 people at this church. And I said, how many of you want to please God more than anything else in your life? And every hand in the place went up and everybody held their hand up. And I said, now here's a question. How many of you really please God? And two hands went up. About an eight-year-old girl and a 10 or 11-year-old boy raised their hands to say that they please God. 500 people said, it's my number one desire to please God. And two little kids believed that they did please God. And I said, you know what? This is a recipe for disaster right here to have your number one goal constantly uh, unfulfilled. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I just begin to start talking about what really pleases God. The reason most people don't feel that they please God is because they think God is pleased with us based on our performance and how well we're doing and whether we study the word and pray and do this and do all of these righteous works. But the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is what pleases God, not faith in yourself and faith in your own effort, but faith in what God has done for you through Jesus. And that's what I was talking about last night. I could go back and reteach all of those things. But let me just again use my experience to get into this, that I had this experience with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968. God showed me I was a religious hypocrite. He took away all of my self-righteousness and self-confidence. I repented of that. And to my surprise, instead of rejection and punishment, the love of God just flowed through me for 45 days. Man, I was gone someplace, caught up in the presence of God. I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. But after 45 days, that emotion wore off. God doesn't want you to live on an emotional plane. Some of you are praying and saying, oh, I wished I could have that happen to me. Did you know what? It'll destroy you, usually. That's really not the best thing. I've had a lot of people come up and say, 50 years ago, I had an experience like what you're talking about, and they've been miserable ever since because you can't maintain that emotional high where you just know that God loves you. And it becomes addictive. And after you've experienced that, in a sense, it's like, what do you do for the follow-up act? And I've met lots of people who have had a miraculous experience with God where they just had some emotional thing and they weren't able to maintain it and they spend the rest of their life trying to get that back. You know, it was the grace of God that I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. Because when I was in Vietnam, I was a Baptist when I got drafted. And I went to Vietnam and over in Vietnam, I didn't have anything to do and I just sat there and for 12 to 15 hours a day for 13 months, I read the Bible and studied the Bible. And when I came out of Vietnam, I wasn't a Baptist anymore. And it wasn't intentional. I didn't try it. It's just that as I got into the Word of God, the Word of God changed my theology. And I went back to the Baptist church and they didn't want me anymore. They kicked me out. Amen. <laughs> but it was good for me. 
But over in Vietnam, I was going through this thing of, oh God, how do I get back on this spiritual high to where I understand the love of God? And sin was so rampant. I mean, everybody was doing drugs, drinking over there. There was things going on. The government every uh, two months paid for what they called stand down and they brought all the troops back to the rear area and gave you all of the booze you could drink free and brought in prostitutes so that you could have all the free sex that you wanted. And I'm the only person in our company that didn't participate in that. And I tell you what, the draw was powerful to go in, get involved in all of these things. And the only way that I could overcome it, I actually for a period of time stayed in a bunker that was wallpapered with nude photos. (laughs) And you know what? The only way I could keep my mind on God was just like this. I mean, I read the Bible 12 to 15 hours a day. I couldn't even put it down and look up. I just would <laughs> like this. And um, so anyway, I started seeking the Lord. And here's what I was trying to get across is that instead of this emotional high and just a feeling that God loved me, I began to learn some things through the Word that transform my life. And I began to start knowing that God loved me based on what was true, based on truth, not based on a feeling. And I could spend literally hours ministering on this point, trying to get to where I'm wanting to go today. But most Christians are missing this. Most Christians are looking for a feeling, some emotion, something that will make you jump, shout, run, roll scream, do something. And again, there's nothing wrong with all of those things in their place. But most Christians are looking for some type of an emotional, tangible thing that will prove to them that God loves them. And God switched me from that emotional thing over to where I saw in the Word of God, I got revelation and the truth set me free. And I learned some things that just revolutionized my life. And that's what I want to share with you. And this I've got an entire teaching out there entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. And I've got a lot of teaching on this. And this is going to be very quick to go through it. But here in a nutshell is the thing. I had this experience where I knew that God loved me. But after the emotion wore off, then my brain kicked in. How could God love me? I didn't love myself. I didn't, I wasn't pleased with myself. I was an introvert. I felt compelled to witness. I felt a responsibility to witness. And yet, man, it was hard for me to talk to people. And I was just failing in everything. Uh, And so anyway, after this emotion wore off, my brain kicked in and I thought, how could God love me? I don't love me. I know I'm doing wrong. I know that this isn't right and this isn't right and this isn't right. And I couldn't understand how God could love me the way that I'd experienced. And yet I knew that experience was so real. I knew it was true, but I couldn't reconcile. And let me just say this, that you know your life is going to go the direction of your dominant thought. I don't know if you understand that, but there's many scriptures, Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think is ultimately the way your life is going to go. I don't care how passionate you feel about something. I don't care what experience you have. Your life is going to go the direction of your thoughts. And if I hadn't have gotten my thoughts changed, I would have lost that experience. It would have been a memory where I was talking about 1968. It wouldn't be a current uh, possession of mine. 
And I'm just telling you from experience that I had to get my mind renewed. And there are many of you that God has touched you and you are passionate about God. I mean, here you are on Saturday morning out listening to somebody preach. You're a stark, raving, mad fanatic. Amen. God's touched your life. God's done some things. But with the average person, you aren't where you want to be and the love of God isn't flowing properly. And I'm telling you, one of the main reasons isn't because you haven't had an experience, not because God hasn't touched your life, but it's because your thinking isn't right. Wrong thinking produces wrong results. And so here's some of the thinking that God changed in my life. And this just totally, totally, totally transformed me. Let me take this real familiar passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And most people know this verse, but they're so familiar with it, they haven't really thought of what it says. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This says that when you get born again, old things pass away, all things become new. Did you know most people tend to not take the Bible literally? They don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. They just gloss over the surface of it. And so they... They really don't take it and apply it to their life. This says that when you are in Christ, if you are born again, then oh, then you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, not a lot of things, not many things, all things are become new. It didn't say that they are becoming new. It didn't say that you are getting more like the Lord. It didn't say that you're getting better every day. It says all things are New. Everything has changed. Now let me ask you a question. That's what the Bible says happened to you at salvation. What does your experience tell you happened? Most of you in here would have to say, well, there was a definite change, but you know what? There's still things in my life that aren't the way that they're supposed to be. There's still things that I'm not like Christ. And there's so many other scriptures. I'm going to go through as many as I can this morning. But over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. For as He is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Now see, the church sings, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. You know... Uh, talking about in the sweet by and by, and we talk about in heaven we're going to be changed. But this scripture says that as Jesus is right now, how do you think Jesus is? Jesus is perfect. He's healed. He's absolutely in control. He's uh, not depressed. He's not discouraged. As Jesus is, so are we. And some people have thought, well, that means that we're supposed to live like Jesus, and it's an admonition for you to live holy and do all those things. No, it says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world, not in the one to come. And there is no person that can claim that in actions and in thoughts that you are perfectly as Jesus is. If you think that, um, I'll talk to you afterwards and I can uh, provoke you. And when you get mad at me, that'll prove that uh, you aren't like Jesus. 
None of us are perfect in this flesh and in the carnal realm. We don't do everything exactly the way we should. So this immediately brings up a question. The Bible says you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Everything has become new. You are identical to Jesus as Jesus is. So are we in this world. First John, or First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. One And the Greek word there is hes, H-E-I-S. It means a singular one to the exclusion of another. It doesn't mean that you're similar, that you are going in parallel ways. Now God is holy and you're holy, but you're just a little less holy. No, it means you're one. You're identical. So here's what the word says, that when you get born again, you are exactly like Jesus. Your experience says, man, I'm not like Jesus. I may be closer to it. There's some things that have changed. Maybe I quit drinking. Maybe I quit doing some things. But man, I'm still not like Jesus. I still get ticked off. I'm still in the flesh. So here's what the Bible says. Here's what your experience is. And most people just don't reconcile it. They kind of disconnect. And they just think, well, the Bible is so hard to understand. I don't really see the practical application of my life. But as I was studying over in Vietnam and studying these scriptures, here's what the Lord showed me. And this is so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. But this is so simple, it is profound. The Lord showed me that we are three parts. First, uh, Th- let's see, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture makes it clear that you're three parts, spirit, soul, and body. My body is a part of me that you're looking at. And then my soul is my emotional part, my mind, my thoughts, my, all of that, my, what most people call their personality. But the Bible teaches that there's a third part to you that is your spirit. And your spirit cannot be seen or felt. Sometimes we'll say things like, do you feel the spirit? Technically, that is an incorrect statement. You can't feel the spirit. You, the, Jesus said that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. That's just a way of saying that spirit is spirit, flesh is flesh. There isn't a connect between the two. You can't feel the spirit. Now, what you can do, your soul can operate in the spirit realm or in the soulish realm, and you can feel faith. Faith and the anointing of God is tangible. You can actually put it into a cloth and pass it to people, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 11. So, yes, you can feel the presence of God, but you really can't perceive the spirit in any physical, natural way at all. And here's one of the great truths that God told me, that when I got born again, it was my spirit that got born again, not my soul and not my body. And you can see that by just elimination, just deduction. It says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All things, not some things. Well, that's not talking about your body because if you were fat before you got saved, you'll still be fat after you get saved. Your body did not instantly change. And we've got scriptures that talk about that this corruptible, this mortal must put on immortality. So your body isn't saved and your soul isn't saved. You'll hear people use that terminology about your soul being saved, but your soul isn't the part of you that got saved because your soul is your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, your will. And your emotions, sometimes you're sad and discouraged when the truth is 
that Jesus is always encouraged. He's always positive and you're like Him. The part of you that's born again is exactly like Him. Not going to be in the future, it is right now. So you can tell by process of elimination that your body and your soul haven't been saved yet. So what does that leave? Your three parts, that means it's the spirit part of you that got changed. And it didn't get just changed a little bit. It is radically changed. It's identical to the Lord Jesus Christ. As He is right this moment in heaven, that's exactly the way that your born-again spirit is. Your born-again spirit doesn't have just a little bit of God in it. You have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily is what Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 say. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you bodily. John chapter 1 verse 16, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace or grace upon grace. You have received the fullness of the God, Godhead. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 19, it says that he prays that your eyes would be open to the exceeding greatness of his power that he has towards you. The same power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You have the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. You have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. It isn't out there somewhere. It's already in here. And you know what? When you begin to start understanding this, that it's your spirit that got changed, something that you cannot perceive with any of your five senses, what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You can't go look in the mirror and see your spirit. When you start understanding this, then it just opens up everything to you. Because see, if you don't have this understanding that it's your spirit that got born again, and it's the spirit that has the life of God in it, then the Bible says you can do all things. And you just... Check out your physical body. Do you feel strong? No, you feel pain. You feel weakness. You're tired. And so here's the physical realm saying, well, I can't do all things. I don't know what the Bible says. But it's talking about who you are in Christ. It's talking about that born-again spirit. In the spirit, man, you have all of the strength and the power that Jesus has. The Bible says you know all things. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. And what we do is go back and look at our last test score. And say, well, man, that proves I don't know all things. Or some of you can't even remember where you put your glasses and they're on the top of your head. And you think, man, what does the Bible mean? I know all things. I don't know all things. And so then we start singing these songs. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. And the Bible says you know all things. What does that mean? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, put on the new man, which after God is is renewed I mean, created in, let's see, where is that? That was Ephesians chapter 4. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. That's not talking about up here in your peanut brain. In your spirit, your born again spirit has knowledge in it. And in your spirit you know all things. You know, I've got so much to say, it's impossible to say it. It's impossible. Let me just throw out this little tidbit here. You know, this revelation 
is the foundation of everything that God's shown me. Everything I've ever seen came out of understanding these truths. But see, when you understand that it's in your spirit that you have the mind of Christ, then that opens up this door over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says in verse 14 that if you pray in tongues, you, your spirit prays. What is your spirit praying? It says in 1 Corinthians 14, you're praying the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, that when you pray in tongues, pray that you interpret. So you know what? If you come into a situation where you don't know what to do, you know what you do? You pray in tongues and your spirit is releasing the mind of Christ. And all you got to do is say, Father, interpret to me what I need to know. And boom, all of a sudden you get a word from God and your life changes. It's amazing how many people don't know that. It's amazing how many Christians think that praying in tongues is something you do just one time to prove that you got it and it gives you a goosebump and you think that that's what it's about. But you've got the perfect wisdom of God on the inside and when you pray in tongues, it's like sticking a bucket down in a well and you draw this wisdom out and all you got to do is get an interpretation and boom, you're on your way. God has perfect knowledge about your situation and can change anything. All you need is one word from God. Amen, James? <laughs> one word from God will get you to where you, from where you are to where you're going. And you've got this reservoir of the wisdom and knowledge of God on the inside of you. And all you got to do is just pray and ask for an interpretation. You know, when the Lord told me that we were supposed to... Um, well, I was trying to get this building that we had finished, $3.2 million, and it wasn't working. The people told us we would have our money the next week, you know, to finish this construction, and that went on for nine months. And after nine months, they said, you know what, we need to start the whole process over. Let's get another appraisal. Let's go. And all I could see was another nine months, and there was no way. And so I said, something's not working. And I, I just went out walking on this trail that I built on my property, and I said, God, I need wisdom. And I quoted these scriptures about that when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. I've got the mind of Christ and I pray that I interpret. And so I started speaking in tongues and asking God to interpret it. Within 10 minutes, I had an answer. God told me that I wasn't supposed to take out a loan, that my partners were my bank and that all I needed to do was go to them. And some of you might think, well, you should have known that. Well, I'd gone a year or something without knowing it. I don't know. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you know what? When I got my back against the wall, I prayed in tongues and God spoke to me and told me what to do. And boom, just like that, we got that $3.2 million in addition to our normal uh, expenses, which was the, we had just added the most television stations we'd ever done. We paid for our normal expenses and added $3.2 million above that in 14 months and got in there debt free. And it all came because I, of this truth about spirit, soul, and body. In my natural mind, see, I didn't know what to do, but I realized that, hey, there is a born again part of me that has the mind of Christ in it. And all I've got to do is pray in tongues and draw it out and I can walk in it. There's many of you that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and yet you just sit there and you just say, well, I sure wished I knew what to do. And you say, oh God, please show me what to do. And you don't speak in tongues and interpret. 
God's given you this powerful gift and we don't use it because really most people have the impression that God's out there. Oh God, I'm asking you to stretch forth your hand. And that's how we come up with these silly, stupid doctrines that the demons are blocking my prayers and my prayers didn't get above the ceiling and they didn't reach the heavens and the devils intercepted it and we got to clear a hole over this area so that our prayers can get through to God. Oh, give me a break. Somebody said, well, isn't that true? No, you don't need your prayers to get above your nose. God's right here, amen. The fullness of the Godhead lives on the inside of you. That's the reason you bow your head when you pray, so you can look at God and say, Father, amen. This changes everything when you understand that God isn't out there and, oh, God, would you stretch forth your hand and, oh, God, would you please send me somebody to help and, oh, God, would you please show me what to do? He's already given you everything. It's already on the inside of you. It's not a matter of getting God to do anything. It's a matter of you understanding what God has already done and drawing it out. And see, when I begin to understand these things, man... Did it change my life? Because I had been praying for 13 months. Oh God, please get me back. Please touch my life. Please give me another experience. And all of a sudden I realized that what happened on March the 23rd, 1968, for whatever reason, I had God just like pull back a curtain and give me a little glimpse of His glory. But it was just a fraction of what was already on the inside of me. And I found out that that little emotional thing I had was just a small taste of what was on the inside of me at all times. I don't care if I wake up from a dead sleep and feel sleepy. I don't care what I feel like in my flesh, in the spirit realm, I am full of the glory and the righteousness of God at all times, 24 hours a day. It never fluctuates. Somebody might think, well... I can accept that I got born again that way, but you know what? I haven't been living for God. And they think that that fluctuates. But the scripture says that once you believed, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that word sealed, it isn't talking about like a seal, a stamp of approval. It's talking about it totally in case, like a woman, you know, puts... Uh, preserves or something in a jar. You, you can some kind of a fruit and you put it in a jar and then you put paraffin over the top and make a seal. Your spirit was created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says that. It was created, not it's becoming, it was just born. You were born again righteous and holy, truly holy. And then the moment all of that happened, God vacuum-packed you, sealed you. And you know what happens when you seal as sin as a Christian? Sin, when you obey the devil and yield, sin will enter into your physical body and it can give Satan an inroad against you physically. It can enter into your soul and it can make you depressed and discouraged and fearful and things like that. But your spirit is sealed. Sin never penetrates that seal. And so you were created in righteousness and true holiness. And even when you sin, that, that sin doesn't penetrate to your spirit. Therefore, your spirit retains its righteousness and holiness. And Ephesians 4.24, or excuse me, John 4.24 says, God is a spirit 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking at you in the spirit. And he doesn't see your sins. Now, he's aware of it because God knows all things. But God is focused on your spirit. He relates to you based on who you are in the spirit. And God loves you because of who you are in the spirit. And when you got born again, God made you a new person. Old things passed away. All things became new. You are as righteous, as holy, as pure as Jesus is in your spirit. God's looking at you and he thinks you're awesome. You have all of the righteousness, the same virtue, the same knowledge, the same power of Jesus. You are as pure as Jesus in your spirit. And that's a part of you that God sees. The problem is most of us don't understand these things. And so the Bible says that we're righteous and we think righteous. And you go look in the mirror and you think this is righteous. Man, I got zits. I got gray hairs. I got bags under my eyes there's got to be something better than this. And we say, well, the Bible says I'm this, but here's what I see. And so we think, oh, the Bible is so hard to understand. It's not hard to understand if you just understand that you have a spirit and that's the part of you that was saved. And the spirit part of you is the part that is identical to Jesus. This physical body and your soulish realm are in stages of development and we're in different stages of acting like Jesus. But in the spirit, every person who's been born again in here is identical to Jesus. And here's another concept that we have. People think, well, yeah, that was true, but I've sinned since then and I've lost this and I've got to repent and get back into the grace of God. You know, I'm giving you, I've got five hours worth of teaching on what I'm saying here this morning. So I haven't got time to go into this. I encourage you to get my teaching on spirit, soul, and body. But sin will affect your body and your mind. And so, yes, you do need to turn from sin. And when you do commit sin, repent of it and get cleansed of this in your body because you don't want to give Satan inroad into your body and into your soul. But... You don't lose your relationship with God because if you're truly worshiping God, you have to worship Him in your spirit, which has been sanctified and perfected forever. Man, there's so many scriptures on this. I've just got to turn over to these. I've got to show you these scriptures because this is so powerful. In Hebrews chapter 10, first of all, let me just, well, I better not read those or I'll comment on them. Hebrews chapter 10 In verse 10, it's talking about that Jesus died and put a will into effect. And then it says in verse 10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. You were sanctified. The word sanctified means to make holy or to set apart. You were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For all. That is not what most Christians believe. Most Christians believe you are sanctified until the next time you sin. And then you got to get it confessed and forgiven of, and then you get re-sanctified. The ultra Pentecostal will say that you lose your salvation and you're backslid. And if you were to die in a backslidden state, you'd go to hell. And so they believe that you have to be born again again. Every time you sin, you lose your salvation and then you get born again, again. 
That's not what this is saying. This says you are sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That was the way the Old Testament did. The Old Testament didn't have what we have in the New Covenant. Most of us have taken our cues from the Old Testament and we try and relate to God and we got to offer a new sacrifice every time we sin. We lose everything and afraid that God's wrath is going to come upon us. There's a new thing. The Old Testament, they offered sacrifices which could never take away sins in verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice for the sins of the whole world forever. There is no such thing as reapplying the blood, which is a common religious terminology. You got to get the blood reapplied, get that sin under the blood. When you got born again, all sins, past, present, and even future tense sins were dealt with. I'm going to go ahead and read these verses in Hebrews chapter nine. Just real quick. It says, neither by the blood, verse 12, it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What a radical thought. Eternal redemption. Not redemption till the next time you sin. Eternal redemption. And then it goes down to verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of New Testament that by means of death for the transgression, for redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Not inheritance till the next time you blow it and then you're out of right standing with God and then you got to get back into right standing with God. Eternal inheritance. Some people think, how could you say that? Because look what this person did. You are a carnal person looking on the outside, seeing their actions. God is a spirit and he's looking at them in the spirit. And if they are born again, their spirit is as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. And even though they are out here failing God, their spirit is still righteous. And God has given them eternal redemption based on who they are in the spirit. We have an identity crisis. Most of us don't know who we are in the spirit. We're looking in the mirror and searching our soul and thinking, what a sorry lot this is. How could God ever use me? This is what turned my life around too and set me free from being an introvert because I was fearful of people's rejection and I was thinking I'm you know, not good enough and I don't measure up. I mean, I never was the sharpest knife in the drawer. I never have been the best at anything. And so because of that, I had a mindset that just caused me fear that God could use me. And when I understood who I was in Christ, that I am as righteous and holy and pure, I've got the same anointing, the same faith of Jesus, it changed the way I thought. It changed my actions. It changed everything. Man, this is awesome. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, In verse 13, it says, from henceforth, or back at verse 12, it says, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 10 says you were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And verse 14 says if you've been sanctified, you have been made perfect forever. Perfect. How many of us, if somebody says, so are you perfect? 
our normal response is, oh, no, I'm not perfect. And you know what? That's true if you're talking about your flesh, the carnal part of you. But it's a shame that most of us see ourselves as a carnal person instead of a born-again person. The answer ought to be, if somebody says, are you perfect? Absolutely, (laughs) man. I am perfect in Christ Jesus. Your spirit right now is as perfect, as pure, as holy, as forgiven, as endowed by God as it will ever be in out throughout eternity. Your spirit isn't going to be perfected and made better. It's your soul. Your carnal mind is all of a sudden going to know all things, even as also it's known. Your body is going to be changed so that you have a glorified body that can zip from place to place and walk through walls and do things. But your spirit right now, one third of your salvation is over. It's complete. You're as saved as you'll ever get in your spirit. And the Christian life is as simple as this. You got three parts, spirit, soul, and body. If your soul, your mental part gets to thinking about who you are in Christ and focused on that and your identity, then that's two against one. Your physical body is just going to have to go along and it will receive the life and the power that is in your spirit. If your mind is over here with the carnal realm looking in the mirror saying, well, the Bible says that I can do all things, but man, I don't have a tingling. I don't feel a thing. If your mind is over here in the emotional, physical realm, then you know what? That's two against one. And even though you've got the life of God indwelling you, it will never manifest itself through your life. And so most Christians are here praying and asking God, oh God, please heal me. When the Bible says by his stripes you were healed. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is already on the inside of you. You don't need God to heal you. What you need to do is believe that God placed his raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And then accept the responsibility that he gave you when he said, you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You speak to the mountain and the mountain will depart. Instead, see, because we don't know who we are. We think, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace. And now one third of me is the righteousness of God. I have the power of God on the inside of me. I am born again. And because of that, I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I can speak to the dead and command them to come back to life. I can speak to cancer and curse it and command it to die. I can speak to whatever my situation is. I don't have to ask God to do those things. I need to believe that God has already put this on the inside of me and take my authority and command it. And the power of God will flow through me. But most Christians are just, oh God, we have nothing. We're powerless. Please move. You've started from a position of unbelief. You don't believe who you are in Christ Jesus. You're sitting there denying the fact that he says you are the world overcomer and that nothing is impossible unto you. You resist the devil. And we're just saying, oh God, none of that's true. God, I have no power. I'm powerless. God, would you please move in my life? And you wonder why you aren't seeing results? Because we're in unbelief. We aren't believing what the Word of God says. And if you understand this, then all of a sudden, understanding the love of God takes on a whole new meaning. You see what God has already done. See, if you don't understand who you are in Christ and that there's a spirit part of you, you're thinking about in heaven it's going to be wonderful, but God, why haven't you done something? Why don't you do this now? 
If you can understand what I'm talking about, you're thinking, God, it's awesome. You have given me all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You have blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. God, you've done all of this. And I mean, it just makes your love and appreciation for God go through the roof. But you have to be able to get away from just going by your five senses. Somebody says, well, I don't feel God at all. You can't feel God. You have to faith God. You walk by faith and not by sight. You have to believe in this. But I want a goosebump. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up, amen, and start going by what you know to be the truth of God's Word. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life are when I felt nothing. Matter of fact, I felt fear. I felt like, oh God, help. That's what I felt. But I knew what the Word says, and so I just act on the Word, and I stand up. And you know, actually, when you're feeling fear, and you're feeling nothing positive, and you go ahead and do what the Word says, that is a greater manifestation of faith than when you're feeling goosebumps go up and down your spine. It actually is a stronger uh, action of faith. It'll release more power. I've seen people raised from the dead when I felt nothing. I've seen blind eyes open when I felt nothing. I've seen great miracles happen when I don't feel a thing. And I've just learned that, you know what, there is a part of me that the Bible calls the flesh that has improved in some respects, but it's still flesh. And it's just incapable of operating in the supernatural power of God. As much time as I've spent seeking God, did you know I still have thoughts of unbelief? I still have thoughts that are contrary to God's Word. I still feel rotten sometimes. But I've just learned that that is not the real me. That's not true. That's not what the Word says. And I've learned to act on what the Bible says. This is my spiritual mirror. The Bible says in James chapter 1, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the Word of God, is like a man beholding his face in a glass, a mirror. This is, this is your spiritual mirror. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you can't tell if your hair is combed by feeling. You go look in a mirror and you trust what you see in that mirror. But what you see in that mirror is not really your hair. It's a reflection of your hair. You've never seen your face. Did you know that? You've never looked at your face. Somebody said, oh yeah, I have. No, you've looked at a reflection of it. You may have seen a picture of it, a drawing of it. But you trust those things. You trust that. Did you know that this is a reflection of spiritual things? Jesus said, John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This is spirit. If you want to know what's going on in the spirit, somebody says, well, I don't know that I have raising from the dead power on the inside of me. You go to feeling around. I don't feel it. I would know it if I had it. No, you wouldn't. That which is spirit is spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh. The only way to know what is true in the spirit realm is to look in the perfect law of liberty and look at it like a mirror. And it says over here, somebody says, how are you? And you say, oh man, I'm hurting all over. The doctor told me I'm going to die. And you talk about the physical natural realm. No, what you need to do is hold up your spiritual mirror and say, well, right here, Ephesians 1, 3, I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. Somebody says, well, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't talk. I've got pain and I'm sad and terrible things have happened. 
You know what? If you understand who you are in Christ, it just depends on who you consider to be the real you. If you think the real you is this outer person and what you feel, this is really just your earth suit. This is what you use to get around in this physical life. Someday you're going to die. That doesn't mean that you cease to exist. It just means that your soul and your body exit this physical... I mean, your soul and your spirit exit this physical body and you still exist. You just exist in a different realm, in spiritual form. This is your earth suit. This is what allows you to live and breathe and have your being, but it is not the real you. And your emotional part is not the real you. The spirit is the real you. If you consider the spirit you to be the real you, and then somebody says, how are you? And you say, well, the doctor said this, and here's what I feel, then you're a hypocrite. Because the real you is blessed. The real you is healed. The real you is set free The real you is wonderful and awesome and perfect and it never loses that standing. It just depends on which you consider to be the real you. If you think, well, I'd be a hypocrite to say that I'm healed when the truth is I hurt, that shows where your identity lies. Your identity lies in the external man. You are carnal and controlled by your carnal feelings and senses. But a spiritual man, if you would walk in the spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And a spiritual man can sit there and say, I'm healed when the whole time the doctor says you're dying. And it's not a lie. It just depends on which you consider to be the real truth. And it's amazing, most of us, because we are ignorant of the Word and the Word hasn't dominated us, most of us believe that God has all of His power, but we don't believe that any of it's released yet. And we're in the process of trying to get God to do what He's already done. I've got an entire book and teaching out there on you've already got it that deals with this. And we're trying to get God to heal, trying to get God to bless instead of recognizing that He's already done these things, that you're a brand new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In your spirit, you're absolutely perfect. You're just trying to unwrap the gift that God has already given you, not trying to get God to give you a gift. Man, this changed my life. This has radically changed my life. And this is how I understand that God now can be pleased with me. I knew, I experienced that God's love was poured out in my life. I knew that I knew that God loved me, but my brain couldn't grab hold of this. How could God love me because I had these things wrong in my life and I wouldn't let the love of God manifest itself in my life because I didn't feel worthy. And the truth is that in the physical, emotional realm, I am not worthy. But when I understood that there's a new part of me that was born again and that if I approach God and if I truly connect with God, I've got to do it in spirit and in truth. And when I saw who I was in Christ now, I can understand God is just and righteous to love me just as much as He loved Jesus. Because in my spirit, I'm as pure as Jesus is. I'm as holy as Jesus is. It's His righteousness that was given unto me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became my sin so that I could become His righteousness. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when I stand before God in my spirit, 
God is as pleased with me as He is with Jesus. God will answer my prayers just as much as He would answer Jesus' prayers. God loves me just as much as He loves Jesus. He loves you as much. If you've been born again, that's what it's all about. And if you could understand this, you know what? It would just open up the love of God to you. Now you could let God love you because you understand and you feel worthy of it. Father, through Jesus, through what Jesus did, I am now the righteousness of God and I thank you that you love me as much as you love Jesus. If you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, that would be blasphemy to say that I'm as righteous as Jesus, I'm as loved as Jesus, if it's based on just my actions because I don't deserve it. But see, there's a part of me that's been born again. And that born again part of me is is as pure and holy as Jesus is. Boy, that's awesome. This changed my life. And I tell you, the things that I've shared with you today is just like the tip of the iceberg. If you meditate on this, this will permeate everything that you do. This That book that I've got on a better way to pray, you know, this is the foundation of that teaching. Because if you understand that God isn't out there and you don't have to bind the demons and get your prayers through to God, that'll do away with all this weird spiritual warfare that's being taught today. Amen. Just understanding that God already lives on the inside of you and you don't have to do that. That was an Old Testament prayer. Daniel had his prayers blocked in Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 10. But we are New Testament believers. It doesn't apply to us. God lives on the inside of us. People are using an Old Testament model, not appreciating that we are now a new creature and that God moved from heaven into the inside of us. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in us bodily. It'll change your attitude towards prayer. It'll change your attitude towards healing. Instead of asking God to heal, you praise Him that He's already put this power on the inside of you. You take your authority, you speak to the problem, you resist the devil and He'll flee from you. It'll change your attitude towards emotions and stuff. Instead of saying, oh God, please pour out your love on me. That's an unbelieving prayer. Somebody said, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He's already done this. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You've already got the fullness of God's love. You can't get any more love of God than what you've got. You can get a greater understanding of it. You can renew your mind and begin to start receiving and appropriating more of it. But you don't have to pray and ask God to love you. You don't have to ask God for peace. You don't have to ask God for joy. You've already got these things on the inside of you in a supernatural abundance. The only thing that's wrong is your little peanut brain doesn't know what you've got. You aren't trying to get the Word down into your spirit. Your spirit knows all things. You're trying to get the Word into your brain, up out of your spirit, into your brain, and renew your mind through the Word of God. This changes everything. It changes your whole approach towards everything. Salvation is a done deal. One-third of your salvation is over. And then one-third of it, the renewing of your mind, is something you are actively pursuing. And then one-third of your salvation is going to be a future tense fulfillment. And that is when you get a glorified body. But you know what? You should be actively renewing your mind. God's people are perishing for a lack of knowledge. This is the reason Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. 
Because the truth is, God's already done it. It's just a matter of whether you understand that God's done it. Boy, this changed my life. And I know that there's many of you here today that maybe you've even heard some of these things, but most people don't meditate on this until they put it together and form a cohesive understanding that everything is already done. Or you just forget it. We live in a carnal world. And you know what? You don't have to... You don't have to have any effort to feel. Right now, you feel either hot or cold. And it's not something that you have to go study. You know, if I was to ask you, are you hot or cold? You don't have to go study it for a while and come back and give me a report. You just know if you're hot or cold. You know if you've been sitting too long and the preacher's too long-winded and you're tired of sitting in that one spot. You just, you're in touch with your feelings. But you know what? In the spirit realm, you can't, feel if you're righteous. You can't feel if God indwells you. You have to just go by what the Word of God says. You have to hold up your spiritual mirror and take it by faith. And most of us are too carnal. We don't walk by faith. We walk by sight. We walk by what we feel. And we know that the Bible says that God has all these things and can do all this, but we don't believe He's done it already and we don't feel it and so we spend our time asking God to do what He's already done. Man, this changed your life. If this will impact you half as much as it's impacted me, I guarantee you this would transform your life. It's absolutely impossible to be depressed thinking on the things that I've talked about today. It can't be done. You know, i got to quit. But I could go on for this forever. So I'm not through. I just quit. And we'll start up again tonight. I encourage you to get that book on spirit, soul, and body and the teaching on you've already got it. Those two teachings will go right along with what I've said and amplify. And you need this amplified. I have really shared a very, very small bit of this truth. You need to study these things until it's your revelation. And you don't have to say, well, Andrew Womack said... You can say God's Word says it's become revelation to you. If you could get this truth on the inside of you, I guarantee you, your life would transform. Amen? Let me ask today if there's anybody here who's not born again. Maybe today you understand clearer than you have before what true salvation is. It's not just adopting Christian rules versus Muslim rules or Hindu rules. It's coming and accepting Jesus and then you become a new person. In the Spirit, you are born again. And there may be somebody here who believes God exists and are trying to live a holy life, but you haven't been changed. You aren't a new person. You haven't even made it to first base, if that's true. This is the first step. You must be born again.